filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination non-competition and non-solicitation litigation civil rights and a whole lot more for a free consultation go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster So I'm, I'm still uh, in kind of like recovery mode after the two days of covering the NWSL draft and the MLS draft. Philly! Um, the Philly actually, uh, despite its reputation for um, unruly uh, sports fans who uh, like to pummel everybody and yell at you, um, I was not pummeled or yelled at once, uh, so that was pleasant. Um, Did you climb yeah. any light poles? No, but I, I'm pretty sure that the photo that was going around was um, right near the convention center, and so I probably walked past the light pole that was being shown in that photo over and over again. Excellent. Uh, but yeah, um, my advice for going to the convention, um, one of my do's is sleep the entire time you've allotted yourself to sleep before you have to get on your transportation, because I woke up early uh, out of paranoia that I would miss my alarm, and Missing that hour of sleep or so really threw me off. I felt tired the whole day on Thursday, and then I stayed out late uh, like an adult um, drinking an with adult some who folks. doesn't have kids. Yes, uh, and also an adult who was out of town. And uh, when you're out of town, you get to do what you want. Um, and so I I stayed out late with uh, some folks that cover NWSL in various cities. And got back to my room above Patty's Pub, which is a real bar in Philadelphia. Um, and the night man did not come for me. So that was good. Um, because otherwise I wouldn't be here to tell this story. Uh, and then I woke up early again and then had to hustle, like get myself together, hustle through everything, not enough sleep. Um, I stopped to get breakfast. That's when I was finding out that, uh, DC had traded out of the draft. Um, and so Steven Streff and I kind of just goofed off at the draft. I mean, we did do some work, but also like, there wasn't that much for us to do. And so at one point, Ernie Stewart was t- speaking to the entire like media horde directly over our shoulders while we were like joking about something else. And I was like, is that Ernie Stewart interview happening anytime soon? And I looked over and it was like 50 <laughs> people mobbed within like literally I could have just reached over and like tapped the back of the last person. Um, and I just had been oblivious to that happening all around me. So um, the draft is the convention and draft are fun. Uh, if you go to Philly, go to Byler's Donuts and get the um, Blueberry Fritter or the Fruity Pebbles Donut is also really good. Um, it is what you think it is, a donut with Fruity Pebbles on it. Um, and hit, they're just uh, on Nagumi. it, they're not in it. I was kind of no, hoping they're, they're on, in it. There's, a, there's like an icing uh, layer to keep them stuck to the donut. So is it just a regular... Um, um, it's, like a, it's a light cakey donut. Okay. Um, so it's a baked donut, not a, not yeah, a fried a donut. donut. Yeah, I'm sure there were These fried donuts because in, this is important information. The terminal market is enormous and has um, several Amish stalls, so I'm sure there were uh, fried donuts somewhere available. I never saw them, but um, that is because I had figured out how to get from the donut place to the convention hall and didn't want to get lost in there. Um, and also, if you need dinner, uh, there's a ramen spot in that area called Megumi that I went to on my way out that was awesome. So Philly is good, uh, even if the union 
and uh, Philly sports fans are not. Union fans are actually fine, too. Um, it's a weird, weird thing for there. But, yeah, uh, the convention, uh, it's a sight to see. Next year, I think, is Chicago. Chicago. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you are hardy enough to brave uh, late January in Chicago, um, you should get out there. It's 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 a weird it's a weird event, but it's also kind of a, a fun time. Yeah, for me, it's not even the idea of Chicago in January that is probably going to keep me from going because I have mm-hmm. my, my brother and and his family are out there uh, in the Chicago suburbs. So it'd be a great opportunity right. to to visit him. It's traveling in January, which never, ever goes well. <laughs> traveling by plane in particular yeah, uh, in January is forever a bad idea. This was my first ever uh, trip on Amtrak. I'd never bothered with it. I'd always thought like, well, I'll just drive. What? Wow. Um, I'd always just assume like, we're just going to drive. It's fine. No, Amtrak um, is way better than driving, man. Yeah. That's, what I found out is Amtrak is way better than driving if you've got to travel in the morning. Um, because instead of sitting in rush hour and leaving like four hours before the draft to get there in time, may and then even then be chancing it, I just got on a train, read a chapter out of a book, and kind of unwound, and then caught a cab, yeah. and then I was at the draft, like standing outside, like when you know trying to get donuts, basically. So other things yeah, you do on uh, you can do on Amtrak. In the morning or any time of day, drink a Bloody Mary. Can't do that while you're driving. That's true. That's, that's a that's true. That's an important tick mark there. Um, yeah, read a book like you said. Amtrak is is way better. You don't have to pay tolls on Amtrak either. Which if you've well, ever you don't have to drive. Delaware, hold on, hold on. You don't have to drive. The toll is you have to buy a ticket. They don't just you don't that's just show true. up and get to. I right, will say you, though. You don't have to do the act of driving, which is in of itself, especially on 95 between DC and Philly is an awful experience. You have to go through Delaware. You have to go through Delaware. If you don't catch any traffic, you're going to be fine. Jason, Um, you have to go through Delaware. Delaware is just a toll booth. Everyone knows this. It's not actually a state. Um, It's it's on maps. No sales tax. Um, if you, if you, if someone tells you you're in Delaware, you're actually in Maryland still. Um, you're in the, fan, you're in the phantom toll booth. It's a scam. No, the, the toll booth is real, but the rest of it is fake is what I'm saying. <laughs> Jason Anderson has strong historical beliefs uh, on Delaware. Hey, I agree that Delaware is a scam. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, Hey, Hey, welcome in. This is filibuster, the black and red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson, who found something about states to agree on. This is the first time that's ever happened. <laughs> Maryland and Virginia can come together to hate on Delaware. Magic like this you only get on the internet, people. We're all from blackandredunited.com. That's where we write about DC United and other things pertaining to soccer. Tonight, it's going to be mostly DC United. Uh, in this first segment, we're going to talk about some... Uh, DC United news, um, mostly in the player acquisition, excuse me, mostly in the player acquisition space, but there's some other stuff we're going to, uh, to dig around to the second segment, uh, will be a pre-recorded interview. I had, I made with Nathan Fry. He's the director of merchandising for DC United and he, merchandising. Indeed. He and I sat down to talk about the newly released 
2018-2019 home kit for United and had a, a, a very nice conversation, I thought. So it's about 20 minutes long. I hope you, you'll listen to it at the end of the show and enjoy it. Um, it was real fun to talk to Nathan, and hopefully we'll get to talk to him a lot more. Um, before we get to either of those segments, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm keeping it simple. Uh, my friend, One of my friends and I have been talking about brandy a lot lately. Um, he's found some, some pretty good ones. Uh, I haven't gone and found one because I still had a bottle of Covassier. So, uh, I have my Covassier VS, uh, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's as good as ever. Are you drinking it neat? Are you drinking it on the rocks? Uh, I had one very small ice cube, uh, that has since melted. Ah, that that's all I have to add. Yeah, fair enough. Ben. I'm also drinking a uh, a, a drink that involves brandy. Um, I am drinking a Manhattan, but instead of vermouth, I am splashing a little bit of blackberry brandy in there ah. instead of uh, uh, vermouth. I thought you were going to say that you were replacing the whiskey with brandy or cognac, um, which would be interesting. No. I'm, I'm curious what that no, would I'm, taste I'm, like. I'm doing... I'm doing American fruit-based brandy in my uh, in my uh, in my as as your as your second as your accoutrement, um, right? So so how is it? It's good. the 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 blackberryness gives it a nice uh, depth of flavor. I, I, if it were just a plain brandy, I don't think it would work well as a Manhattan. It would work well as other things, but a Manhattan, I don't think it would work well. But since it is a uh, more flavored brandy I, I, it works right better than i think better than i would think yeah i think brandy is more of an analog for the whiskey than for the vermouth even though they're vermouth and brandy are both wine-based spirits i think just the as far as the strength and the aging and everything i would be curious what a brandy manhattan as opposed to whiskey would would taste like because i haven't i haven't made that before Right, yeah, and I don't, I don't want to have another one after this because, like you said, the strength is more analog to whiskey. Yeah, and, you're drinking uh, a, a lot have, of liquor. <laughs> yeah, if I have another one of these, I'm gonna be, uh, I'm gonna be effed up. So, uh, not gonna have another one of these. I am not drinking brandy, although now maybe I will be next week. Oh, um, you're not having a brandy, Alexander? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm not. Why not? <laughs> because I'm drinking Bell's Amber Ale right now because they had it at the Bell's brandy ale no okay i thought it was pretty clear uh bell's american amber ale it's a good solid you know brown beer that you know it's it's pretty good it's above average it's it's very good not not blowing the doors off or anything but it you know it's tasty let's talk dc united um this segment is going to focus on DC United player acquisition and not player acquisition and player not acquisition. I think that all tracks. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, we'll start things off at the MLS Super D Duper draft where DC United picked nobody in the first round. They had the number three pick and they traded it away the morning of the draft, as Jason alluded to. I think it was about eight AM that that came out. So, or was it eight? It was or closer nine? to nine because I was. It was. It was I think it was actually okay. right around eight thirty because I was on my way to okay. uh, drop the kids off at daycare when the alert came up on my phone. 
So I think I was um, having a, a little coffee and oatmeal. Sounds nice. And and just started, you know, to laugh because it was like, well, now what are we going to do? <laughs> um, uh, it was always a possibility uh, coming into this that DC United was going to trade, especially with all the teams rumored to be looking to trade up in the draft. And um, the fact that we hadn't really heard much about DC United being very high on anybody. Normally you can at least get some kind of inkling out of it. And this year's draft class just didn't speak to United for, for whatever reason. Uh, so they traded the pick. And we, we talked, I think we talked about the prospect of trading yeah. out of the draft or trading yeah, even down in the mock draft, you know, we, back in December. Yeah. So, um, yeah, even in the mock draft you did with, with Alicia, you and, and the rest of SB nation MLS, you you said assuming DC United doesn't trade the pick, you you made sure to put that caveat in because it was yeah. pretty clear that that was a possibility from the outset. Uh, somewhat strangely, it wasn't one of the teams outside of the top three trading up to get it. It was <laughs> LAFC, the holders of the number one pick, trading to get a second pick in the top three. We're not going to get into who they picked, but both picks, I think it's safe to say, were a surprise for them at number one and number three. Uh, DC United gets. Uh, $200,000 in Monopoly money, evenly split between GAM and TAM. And if you don't know what those mean, um, welcome. <laughs> You're new here. You're going to fit in just fine. I promise. Uh, so they get some assets for some rumored future acquisitions. We'll get into those a little bit later. But uh, I, I don't have any strong feelings about this. I think maybe they got a little bit less than they could have for for the pick, but I'm not that torn up about it. Yeah, I mean, given what was given up for later picks in the draft, maybe they could have squidged out a little bit more, but 200,000 is a fine uh piece of business as far as I'm concerned and um a lot of the players at the top of the draft order would have required international spots, and DC United does not have any speculative international spots to give. So it made sense for them to sell their number three pick for whatever they could get and uh, move on and make other moves as have happened uh, since the draft. I think uh, it was Ted mm-hmm. the Ted Meyer, um, commenter on our site, um, who, who said on Twitter that... Uh, LAFC, what they did with the their first and third picks actually may have increased the value of later picks because they picked guys who weren't right. at the top I mean, of any, at least any prognosticators big board. So all of a sudden you have um, two or you have two guys who nobody expected to be available at four and five being available at four and five. Yeah, I think thus increasing the value of those picks. I think that may have had something to do with it. I still think. DC United maybe didn't get the full value, but again, I'm not yeah, that worried about it's, it. It's, it's, nah. and, and I will say, I, I was going to bring up Ted uh, as well, because I think he, he ha- it's the most sound theory that I've heard um, about why the uh, fourth pick ended up being for the same amount of money, but it was all GAM rather than TAM. Um, and then uh, Chicago's trade was, I can't even remember Chicago's trade at this point, um, but it was a very similar um, situation where they say they traded Matt Lampson and a pick and not very much gam, but a little more Tam. I, it, it was weird that the fifth pick ends up being the most valuable thing in the, in the group. Um, but I think the fact that LA took uh, Tristan Blackman, who 
I think we were thinking of him as more of like a guy in the later part of the top half. You know, maybe the Revs had eight, nine, or ten. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think that, and and maybe the panic of the room a little bit. You know, having all of a sudden it, it becomes a market uh, with people going back and forth. We've seen that go DC United's way in the past with um, the Steve Birnbaum, Andre Blake situation, where DC in the moment managed to play Vancouver and Philadelphia off of each other and get a little bit more out of it. Um, and I think maybe that happened at those other tables. Whereas, um, you know, it's one of those risks you take by doing your business early. Maybe you get in the room and people are just not, everyone knows what they're going to do and they aren't shaken up. And all of a sudden you're um, having to, to sell at a lower rate. You know, in this case they sold beforehand and they went in and found that maybe they could have made, you know, 50,000 more in GAM uh, or something like that. Maybe maybe it right. could have all been GAM instead of TAM uh, like FC Dallas got, but um, or I'm, I'm sorry, like um, uh, was it Minnesota? Or no, Montreal uh, traded D- Dallas. Um, but it's, right. not, Dallas you know, it's one of those things where um, you know, in engineering they always tell you that you're not going to be able to make something that's 100% efficient. And the same holds true when you're talking about sports team assets in MLS. You're never going to make um, a perfect series of moves that gets you maximum efficiency. Um, so it's a little bit of an inefficient move, but it's not by so much where it's you know a disaster by any means. It's just uh, you know sometimes uh, you do a little risk prevention and you end up it ends up costing you a little bit. And I think that's what happened here, as they said this is the safe move. We'll take the safe move. And they found, Oh, well, if, you know, we had risked a little bit more. We come out with a little bit more, but not, it's not like um, Dallas traded like 400,000 to get up to the number four. So, right. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned the 2014 draft and Steve Birnbaum trading down to get paid extra to take the guy United wanted anyway. It's a history of that kind of move. And we'll get into a kind of a similar move later in this segment. Um, that that makes me think that Dave Casper has absolutely earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to trades involving draft picks, among other things. But in this particular case we're talking about, I, he's earned the benefit of the doubt in my mind. And that's why I'm not torn up. Even if I think maybe he could have gotten a little more, I'm, I'm willing to say he... I'm not willing to say this was the wrong decision in any case. Uh, that was it for the the in person super draft for DC United. They they traded out beforehand. They it, I think they left a little bit early, even before things had wrapped up. Jason, is that right? I, I would know. Uh, we were sitting uh, in some tables behind the stage, so uh, we did not have eyes okay. on uh, the draft table. Which uh, I mean, at some point, we probably should have gone out and taken a look. But it also was like. I, we weren't hearing any rumors at all that there was anything going on. Um, we're hearing some other stuff about some other folks, but um, I do know that the uh, the team staff, not not the people at the table, but the the folks from the communication side, they were heading out um, a little early because apparently okay. they had been given the signal like, "Yeah, we're done for the day." Um, right. So they were able. They, I can only hope that they and the technical staff at the table were having a similar experience to you and Steven, where you're just goofing off, having a good a little time. But I mean, we, we still did. Um, Steven did still uh, have a chat with Ben Olson um, and we still got to, you know, figure some things out and hear some, some, some of this and some of that. But 
mostly it was, you know, once your team trades completely out, it was like, well, now, you know, what are we going to do? It's kind of an interesting situation because the guys from Brotherly Game were in the same boat at the start of the day um, where they showed up with no draft picks available to uh, for the union in a draft that their town was hosting. Of course, the union then went and traded for David Akam, so that, that gave those guys something to do. But it was kind of funny at first because we were sitting kind of close to them. It was like, so what are you guys going to do today? Um, like, I don't know. What about you guys? Like, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> it was a weird situation, but uh, it ended up uh, – it still was an interesting day, even though for United, nothing nothing really happened, quite frankly. Um, but, yeah, uh the draft hall is a, is a strange beast and sometimes you come out ahead and sometimes you don't. So there were two more rounds in the super draft uh, conducted by conference call over the weekend. If yes. I'm not on Sunday. Yep, Sunday. Shout on out Sunday. to all of the teams for showing up for this one, because in years past uh, the Red, Red Bulls, Bulls actually just didn't even bother showing up. Um, this was the one, I think this that was the one year they um, streamed uh, the convention or uh, the uh, conference call online. They actually allowed fans yeah. to listen along, and it was the year that right, the Red and Bulls. That's how everyone knows the big <laughs> the Red Bulls opted oh. to just not pick oh. up the phone, which probably oh, which is probably the reason why they no longer do that. Probably thanks, Red Bulls. Although I I also enjoyed the theory that um, I discussed over the weekend in uh in SB Nation soccer slack where we we all kind of riffed on the idea that everyone is drunk on that call and required to be drunk on that call which just makes things more interesting and makes the third and fourth rounds of the draft a little bit more palatable at least to to teams because these are guys especially now that the the draft has more than doubled in size from where it was just a few years ago um the, these picks are long shots to to make the roster. That said, DC United probably got a couple of the 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 better guys to with a chance to make a roster or or at least to be stashed uh, at, on a USL team for for future uh, consideration. Uh, they got two guys in the fourth round. The first one, Afonso Pinheiro, uh, forward out of Albany, making the second Great Dane on DC United's roster. Um, not the second player from Albany. David Osted is the great Dane because he's from Denmark. Okay, guys, shut up. It's I funny. I, I promise. Don't, I don't, I don't, no, it's not. You know, we talked about interrupting you, uh, Adam, and now I regret that neither of us did. <laughs> I was waiting for see, it to happen. See, I was right. I was right, Jason. In. You tried to defend I Adam. I tried to defend him. We just didn't do anything. Uh, I just, yeah, I was. you guys both said you were going to interrupt me when I made a great Dane joke, and neither of you did. Yeah. And this you is guys had get. one job, man. This is what we get. I'm en- I'm ending this podcast. This this podcast is now over. Jason, tell us about Pinheiro. Um, he's a Brazilian target man. Um, he has uh, apparently, according to Duncan Outen, who um, played for the Columbus Crew for a long time and is now an agent. I don't know if he's Pinheiro's agent, but I do know that Outen said that he's getting a green card soon. Um, and the fact that he would count as a domestic uh, once he got that would significantly boost his chances of making the roster. Um, I don't think he's going to play very many minutes for DC United this year, but um, he's uh, an interesting player. He's sort of, um, there's a little bit of uh, Patrick Mullins in his game in that he's uh, a back to goal guy, but he's not 
a bruiser. He's not just up there holding the ball up and that's it. He's looking to connect. He looks to play a lot of one touch. Um, I, I, I've, and granted, I only saw him play once and it was a game that he didn't start. He actually subbed into, um, which I suspect was due to injury because he had been a four year starter um, for uh, Albany. And this was a tournament game, uh, which in which Maryland got dunked on um, because that's what happened all of last season. Um, but yeah, um, there, there's a, you know, he's got a knack for He's maybe not the highest scoring player, but he's got a knack for adding in assists as well as, as goals. So um, that's something to look out for when we watch these preseason games. Um, I don't know if he's particularly fast, but I also, like I said, I, I suspect there might've been an injury involved, uh, back during the tournament. So I don't know if I was seeing him at full speed or if he was playing through something. So, um, I'm hoping he was playing through something, um, because, uh, United could certainly, there's room on the roster for another forward. I mean, as we're going to get into, maybe we would like that forward to be someone at the top of the roster rather than um, someone who is striving to make the team. Um, But, you know, you want to go into the season with more than 2.5 forwards, which is kind of where they're at, the 0.5 being Bruno Miranda. Um, So there's there's an avenue for him to make the team, especially if he gets that green card. Um, And then most likely spending a lot of his time with the Richmond kickers, but, you know, that's fine. Who need goal scorers? Ben certainly wants to see um, some players who can put the ball in the back of the net uh, come down to Richmond because last year was rough. Yeah. USL also has a, an bad. international player limit. Yeah. Uh, so if he gets a green card, that not only helps his chances for DC United, that helps his chances of landing with Richmond in the USL as well. Yeah, the, kicker, the kickers are okay as far as I can tell on international signings. So okay. either way, it'd probably be fine, but... I mean, if Duncan Otten thinks he's about to get a green card, that would make it even easier. The other player DC United picked up in the fourth round, another Brazilian, Rafael Santos, out of where, Ben? Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. Kismet. RVA all day. Uh, he He's a midfielder, and Jason, take it away. Um, well, I mean, we, when we had Travis Clark on a couple weeks ago, he brought up uh, Santos on this podcast. Um, I believe he had him as the sixth best player in the entire draft pool. Um, the reason he fell to the fourth round is the classic reason that for uh, playmakers from uh, non or from outside of the U.S. Uh, always fall is that uh, he's going to count as an international and he's five foot seven and about 140 Three. pounds. Um, that is always why MLS teams don't take those players is they're suspicious of size and, uh, they don't want to carry an international that might be more of a project. Um, however, uh, as was pointed out to me later by Travis, um, uh, Santos was, uh, he came to the U S to, uh, attend high school. He, um, as part of the Montverde Academy down in Florida, which, uh, is, progressively becoming one of the big names in development, uh, in the, in this country outside of, uh, MLS's clubs. Um, so he played there. So he's been in the U S for at least five years, which means I would assume that he's making progress towards a green card, um, given that he's been here for five years. Um, and so if that's true, and, and again, we're just, uh, speculating here, maybe being a little hopeful, United might have used this number 74 pick to get a guy that if it was just purely talent based would have been much closer to the top. Um, 
you know, and again, this would be a situation where if he makes the cut, um, a player that's going to be in Richmond um, almost almost the entire season, I would assume, barring some injuries to Acosta and Stieber and Segura. Um, if if the World Cup takes Segura away, maybe Santos gets a, a you know a few game day eighteen call ins. Um, but that's you know that's best case scenario. Um, we're still talking about a guy that is he's on the small side. Um, more interestingly, though, more of a goal scorer in the last year for uh, VCU than a, a setup guy, even though he's a number 10 um, and, uh, you know, probably the best playmaker in college soccer um, as far as a midfielder goes. Um, he still ended up being VCU's main goal scoring threat. And sometimes you have to do that. I mean, Diego Valeri did that for Portland last year and ended up winning the MVP, um, being more of a, a goal threat than a setup man. Um, so it's good that, that there's that, uh, you know, he, he can do both. He doesn't just have to be the kind of guy that only gets assists and never scores. Um, that's probably a good sign. And the fact that, um, you know, in years past DC United would have been one of those teams you would characterize as avoiding, uh, smaller, slighter players, but Lutro Acosta starts on this team. Um, Russell Canals, Paul Ariola, those are not big guys. Those are guys that are good and that's why they're on the field. Um, and Santos fits, I think that he's not as good as those guys, but he does fit that mold where it's more about his ability with the ball than it is, uh, him being, uh, big and fast. So, um, he's another player that I think, um, I think with a lot of the guys that are going to be in on preseason, we know what we're getting, even, you know, I'm sure when the trialists, when this, the preseason roster is announced, we're not going to be surprised by trialist names. They're going to be guys, players that we have a fairly solid knowledge base of I'm, I'm guessing him and Pinero are going to be the guys that are really like, what, what can this player do? Um, so outside of looking at how the starting lineup works together, um, maybe some of the most interesting moments in preseason are going to be when these two fourth round draft picks end up getting on the field. Cause we can evaluate whether um, they can make the team there. There is room right now on the roster for them because DC only has, I want to say 21 players, um, so there is room for them to make the team. Uh, ben Olson was saying, I believe that he expects to carry 28. I think he told Steven Streff that. Um, so there is room. Um, and if they can come in and impress, uh, you know, you can turn a draft in which you traded the number three and then wait, had to wait until 71 and 74 to do anything um, and turn that into two players that actually contribute a little bit. That's a, a pretty strong uh, draft weekend. I was about to say draft day, but it was a whole weekend because of course. Uh, the most recent news in DC United land um, is that Eric Williamson will be playing in 2018, or at least will be signed to an MLS contract in 2018 with the Portland Timbers, not with DC United, who traded his rights to Portland for $200,000 in GAM and TAM, evenly split, a 2020 second round draft pick, an international roster spot, and half of whatever future sell-on fee Portland may get from uh, a sale of Williamson overseas. So they they got a lot more than they got for the the number three overall pick for the homegrown rights to Eric Williamson, who went on to sign a, uh, a three-year deal with Portland. Um, a little bit disappointing to see a homegrown guy from the Academy and, and from Maryland 
going across the country, but you, you can't really look funny at that. Um, the return they're getting that is, that is a nice haul. Dave Casper acquired from Portland for, for the rights to this kid. I mean, I, I mean, I disagree that it's disappointing to see him go elsewhere. I think you have to take each case uh, individually. And in this case, it had been a long uh, courtship and both DC United and Eric Williamson had had both uh, hot, hot spells and cold spells towards each other. And it just never worked out. And uh, DC United had made a fairly decent offer from the rumors and, it wasn't accepted. Williamson wanted to go to Europe, and it just it it didn't work out. And Williamson's probably going to p- play for Portland's uh, USL team next year. He's probably not going to uh, be with their first team. And the amount of assets that DC United got for him is pretty solid. And they have a lot of uh, under twenty five midfielders ahead of him. So, uh, given all of that, I'm I'm fine with it. Oh yeah, I'm I'm more than fine. I think this is this is a good result for all parties involved. But when you have a protracted will they won't they, and this has gone for for a couple of years now, you always root for will they, not won't they. All right, whichever one is they do. No, I, I, no. you always do that. Every sitcom. I, I I don't. Have you ever watched a sitcom, Ben? Yes. Did you watch Friends? Did you watch How I Met Your Mother? No. Root no. for Ross and Rachel. No, they're awful. Ross is awful. Ro- Ross is a terrible person. Oh. I do not root for Ross. Yes, Ross. I do not root for Ted either. Ted, Ted is also Ted, awful. Ted, I, 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 I disagree with both of your assumptions. No, but you still root for them to, to get together just no. so that you're not no. wasting Don't. as much time. Incorrect. <laughs> How you doing over there, Jason? Uh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have to say I agree with Ben on Ross. Uh, Ross was trash. Ross was terrible. We're all in agreement on this. <laughs> yeah, I, I can divorce that from my uh, shipping. Uh, let's see. Essentially, uh, DC United got back from Portland the international slot they sent for Darren Maddox and then a whole lot more. Um, Portland fans seem to be happy with this. Um from the comments I've seen online, DC United fans, I think came around to the idea once they saw the, the hall that, that Dave Casper brought home for this trade. Um, even if initially the, the reaction was, was more tepid to say the least. Um, I think Ben's right. We, Eric wasn't going to, to see much of the field for DC United this year, especially not in the, the middle of the park which I don't, I don't know that that's where he wants to play, but that's where DC United is the most log jammed. And I think that's where he played with the U 20. He played all over the place for the, for every team. He's a guy without a position. And that might've been part of why DC United was, was not completely all in on him. Um, it sounds like Portland offered him more money in the contract. Um, so that, that may have had something to do with it too. Uh, whatever the case, he is going to Portland and DC United has more Garber bucks to spend on trades or to buy down the salary or transfer fee of uh, so whoever they bring in. And the reporting is that they are bringing in a couple of guys from Latin America, including at least one forward, 
We don't know who it is. I'm hoping it's Yosef Martinez's twin brother. I don't think he has a twin brother, but I can hope. Um, one guy they will not be bringing in with that uh, Monopoly money is Ola Kamara, who was traded from the Columbus crew to the LA Galaxy for Jesse Zardes and $500,000 in allocation money. 100000 of that is contingent on him scoring 12 goals. I think he'll do that. Um he scored 34 goals over two seasons. I think he'll get to 12, even on the Galaxy. Uh, also worth mentioning, we talked about Perry Kitchen going to the Galaxy and DC United getting some money there. Party boy, Chris Pontius, going back to SoCal and and signing with the Galaxy. There's a really surreal picture of Pontius and Kitchen on exercise bikes wearing LA Galaxy gear, and it it made my head hurt and my heart. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, that, that was not something I, I was looking forward to seeing anyway. Uh, now that DC United has all these assets for, uh, the number three pick for Perry kitchen for the homegrown rights to Eric Williamson, um, for not making the playoffs last year, for not making the playoffs. They get some extra, they get some just for existing. Everybody I think gets a couple hundred thousand in gam just for existing, there's also you can't use Gam and Tam on the same player, but the the team does have some Tam to throw around, including whatever discretionary Tam they may buy from the league, and that that's the kind that you can't trade. You buy it, and it's yours to use. Uh, Jason, there's got to be another move this winter, or two, the rumored ones at least. Yeah. Uh- and that's why I bring up missing the playoffs because uh, as much as the team has sort of, um, I mean, not sort of, they've improved, um, but they haven't improved uh, towards the top of the roster. It's still the best players on this team are the best players from last year. Um, they haven't added another player that changes changes the game for DC United. And that is still what they need. Um, and so they've put together um, what seems to be quite a bit of uh, allocation money, whether it's GAM or TAM. Um, They have the option of getting even more TAM if they want it, um, if they can get uh, Rich Uncle Eric to sign off on it. Um, But now they, I think they still need to go do it um, because the roster as is, I find myself looking at it and saying like, this is a solid team that'll, still be alive in October, but is probably on track to finish like eighth. Um, and that's a lot better than last year uh, to, to have actual hope for the entire season might be nice, but I think we can all agree that we're not in this uh, hoping to just finish eighth in the East. I think we want to see more than that. And the fact that they're at the, they're at their new stadium. This is a uh, your one chance at hitting the reset button and changing how team how people see you in the in the region uh, and globally. Uh, quite frankly, when you're looking for players, um, you get this one chance to make a big impression, um, and a big part of that is going to be that one more substantial signing. And it hasn't happened yet. It might not happen till the summer, um, but it would be, I would say, bitterly disappointing for the 2018 to go by and have no big signing. We're talking Paul Areola level and up. Yeah. Um, and right now, you know, that hasn't happened. I think there's still room to do it. I still think they've set themselves up where they can do it without, uh, breaking the rest of the way the roster is constructed. Um, they just have to find a way to make a deal. And right now we don't know anything. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit, 
nerve wracking, I think, for fans to go into the preseason without something done. It is typical, but it's still nerve wracking. Um, but yeah, uh, I think they've they've built things up in such a way that they can do it without ruining everything else. Um, they just need to then go ahead and, and find the right guy. They need to f- figure that out because, you know, the roster as is, is solid, but it's not going to make the playoffs in the East. Um, when you consider, I think Matt Doyle put out his, his top 10 teams right now. And the first three teams on the list were teams in the East, which means you're going to have to play those teams more often. And you're also up against them for playoff spots. So all of a sudden, if the, if that pans out, you're looking at three playoff spots for everybody else. Um, and I, as much as I like a lot of the moves, they're not the moves that move this team above the red line in the end. And that's what we're talking about here is that the biggest move is still, the, it has to be still to come or else this is a team that is just going to be better, but not actually good. You mentioned, uh, that, that the move could be coming in the summer. And I said last week that, uh, I'd be disappointed if United was waiting till summer to to make a move on, especially a, a striker, to if not push Patrick Mullins to the bench to start the year, then at least to compete with him uh, for that starting spot. And in I I still think that's the case. I want a move this winter, and I I that's not to say I I don't want to move this summer. I want to move this winter. And I want to move this summer. I want both. I want this team to continuously improve, especially at the top end. And I want that top end to keep getting higher. That is what I want to see as a fan, especially now that uh, the financial albatross that is the best stadium in the world is is no longer around the team's neck. So that that's what I'm hoping to see. Hopefully, we'll have something to talk about in the next you know, a few weeks as, as preseason gets underway, a lot of guys who have come in, um, especially in recent years have come in after preseason has started. Lucho Acosta didn't come in until February a couple years ago, um, around the league. Bastian Feinsteiger didn't come in until a couple weeks before the season started that it, it's not uncommon for big moves to be made after this point. So it's just a matter of whether that's going to happen. Um, Anything else you guys want to talk about before we uh, we take a break? I think uh, I think I'm good to go. Ben, anything you want to get off your chest about Delaware or anything else? Nope, you've covered it. All right. Uh, in that case, we will be right back. Uh, we'll go straight to uh, my interview with Nathan Fry after this. Stick around; it's filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is, are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or or do something else oh, nefarious... Oh, you are. In a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. 
It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Uh, I'm here now with Nathan Fry, Director of Merchandising for DC United. Nathan, thanks for uh, agreeing to meet with me here in a, a public park. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me. I'm always excited to talk about uh, what's my passion in terms of merchandising and jersey design. Uh, so DC United's new 2018 kit dropped earlier today, uh, I guess online mostly because there wasn't uh, a, a draft pick uh, in, the, in the first round that they would have yeah. might have draped it over. Uh, tell us a little bit about the the broad strokes of the kit. Everyone has seen it online, I assume, if they're listening to this. So. Yeah, so this is the first year that we've separated the reveal of the design with the retail launch. Uh, and you'll see many other MLS teams do that as well. Um, so the 2018-19 primary kit, um, this really got underway probably in April of 2016. Um, that long ago. So seeing that full process finally come to life with the reveal is, is always very rewarding. Um, I've been working on jersey design with DC United since 2007. Um, this is probably the easiest design that I've worked on and the easiest process that I've been through. Um, part of that was that we had a vision and what we wanted from step one. Um, part of that was everybody internally at DC United agreeing that this was the direction we wanted to take it. And the third piece of that was when we first took it to Adidas, their instant feedback was that's something that we can absolutely do. Sometimes we take a concept to Adidas and it's the reverse of that. Like it looks awesome, but we actually can't do that. Um, so for a combination of all those reasons, this one was very simple. Um, simple in terms of the process. Uh, in terms of the actual design elements, um, we had been discussing for a couple years that we wanted to look at dark on dark stripes. Didn't know exactly how that looked, but that was um, in the back of our minds. Um, and then we had noticed some trends with popular items uh, outside of the jersey that um, the more we incorporated District of Columbia or D.C. elements, the more it resonated with, with a broader stroke of fans. Mm -hmm. um, and you obviously went all in on that <laughs> we did, with this sure. design. Um, so the combination of wanting to go dark on dark stripes and uh, incorporating D.C. elements uh, eventually led us here. Um, so a couple things to call out on this jersey, uh, whether it's the tonal stripes down the torso or the Adidas three stripes on the shoulder or the trim, in all those areas you'll see a matching um, tonal dark on dark stripe pattern. Um, we'd also been discussing, you'll, you'll notice that the DC United logo, the Lido's logo, the Adidas logo, and eventually the name and number on the back of the kit are all in a metallic silver. Um, I think this is the first time there's been no white on the jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's, throughout the years, there have been um, requests for more red, less red, more white, no white. Um, uh -huh. And this year, this year is obviously less of both. Yes, absolutely less of both. Um, 
you know, the, the last primary jersey was the first time that we had moved to red stripes away mm-hmm. from the traditional white stripes. And just and those are super sharp. I, I, I know lots of people who really enjoyed yeah, those. Also a favorite of mine. Um, so in terms of the, the DC designs, um, you know, if we start from the bottom to the top, the, mm-hmm. the DC flag, obviously, you'll see on the front of the socks or, um, as we call them now, sleeves. Yeah, this um, is something I was going to bring up later. Um, Nathan brought a couple of, uh, or a few samples here for us to, to look at while we talk. And, and the, the socks really are leg warmers. <laughs> There's no foot on them. And enough players had started cutting socks off at the ankle that Adidas, Adidas responded with basically just designing the sock to the ankle and then leaving the foot uh, up to the player's choice. Um, that was also a, a favorite prank of Jaime Moreno back in the day when he would cut off the foot of rookie socks and <laughs> the first time they'd put them on, they wouldn't know what happened and just stick their foot straight through. Um, Jaime Moreno, of course, now lead sock designer at Adidas. Absolutely. <laughs> if you haven't seen him, that's where he's hiding these days. Um, so two other DC design elements that we incorporated um, – on the jock tag of the jersey this year, on both the authentic and the replica, um, you'll see a graphic that's inspired by the DC boundary stones, um, which a lot of fans probably may not know about the history of the formation of the District of Columbia and what the boundary stones are, mm-hmm. and that there's some still out there. And um, we thought that this design element was a cool um, reason to start that conversation and teach some DC history along with the. Yeah, the design. It, it's pretty cool. If you haven't seen it, it says jurisdiction of the United States uh, on one side of the, the block in 1792 on the other. Um, and what a lot of people are noticing is the the way jurisdiction is bro- yep. broken up. The, and, it, and that's it how it's actually laid out on the actual boundary stone. Right. If you would look them up online or actually go see one, um, that's that, how they appear. Yeah, that's something Ben Bromley uh, from, from our show and, and from black and red united noticed right away and called out as soon as he saw yeah, it absolutely um he's an archivist and a history guy so so when we first he knew. <laughs> when we first started playing around with the boundary stone concept um there was a research portion of it for for those of us working on the design um and the first time a lot of staff saw it in the office their first question well, what is that why is that on the jersey so it was a chance to tell that story of what the boundary stones are the one person that knew instantly that's a boundary stone and what they are, Ben Olsen, yeah. of course, <laughs> the most DC guy out, out there. Um, so it was cool to see his reaction and then also to tell the story to, to some other folks. Um, and then on the back of the neck of the jerseys, um, and this is a design that you'll only find on the authentic pieces, uh, you see the coordinates for 100 Potomac um, Avenue Southwest, which is obviously where Audi Field will be located uh, later this season. Um so being the primary jersey that you're always going to wear at home, that was just kind of a nod to our new home in, in this season. Um, we, we wanted to incorporate that in, in some way, whether it was a an inaugural mark for uh-huh. Audi Field, which... Um, like a stadium patch. You know, when, when this process started in April of 2016, it wasn't Audi Field at that time. Right. So we didn't really know what that looked like. The design of the stadium wasn't finalized, so mm-hmm. coming up with that was proving difficult as a jock tag. And then we... we came across the boundary stone concept knew we were going to go with the jock tag with that but still wanted to incorporate Audi field in some way so coming up with these coordinates for the 100 potomac ave southwest was was how we did that on the back of the neck i do really like how it's uh the neck tag is on the outside of the shirt as opposed to the inside neck tape which we've seen in a lot of years either be a tribute to the fans with the tenemos que ganar mm-hmm. one or the 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 dc vote Taxation tag. without representation exactly and and those are fun i 
they're fun and I appreciate them, but I really like being on the outside of the jersey where anyone can see it a little bit more even. There's always several locations that are available to us mm-hmm. to create graphics like that. Um, we try and limit it to two. Right. Um, there's always the jock tag. There's the inside of the collar, which you just mentioned. There's the back side of the collar where you see the coordinates this year. Uh, and then if fans look at the sleeve of the current secondary, you'll mm-hmm. notice the DC United work merch. So that's another location that we've only used that one time. But it's traditionally those four areas of the jersey that um, are available to us. And to, you don't want to go too over the top. The top. <laughs> you don't want to hit all four. Um, you want to you want to put different uh, design distinctions on the authentic versus the replica just to create some differentiation. So that's why you'll see the jock tag on both, but only the back of the neck uh-huh. collar on the authentic. Um, a couple other big big differences that are obvious to some fans on the authentic to the replicas. The authentic is truly designed for the player. Um, the MLS logos, the Adidas logos, the Lido's logos, those are all heat applied to avoid chafing on the inside for the player. Um, obviously, you'll see the four championship stars on the Authentic where you won't find that on the replica. Um, this year is the first year that we have a different uh, waistline for both the Authentic and the replica. The replica is just a straight cut across where the the waistline of the Authentic is tailored, again, more for the athlete. Um Cool. Uh, I want to talk about the design on the front. Mm-hmm. Um, the you called them tonal stripes. Yep. Uh, the last RFK home jersey, the the DC vote ones, had the sublimated yep. stripes. Uh, is is this something that the team has been moving toward for a while? I mean, it's going to be the, the the striped pattern on the front, as opposed to in years past. It was you know you had the three stripes from the original logo or the original jerseys, but then it was just a flat black so is this kind of texture something that the team's been uh trying to move toward and could be something to think about more in the future clearly the adidas three stripes are something that's classic in in the minds of a lot of dc united fans always um you did have those couple years where there was no texture on the front um actually the last iteration of the primary jersey that we wore in 2016-2017 that started without those uh stripes in there um, and our final design meeting with Adidas, they brought that to the table and just they wanted to add something more to the jersey to make the authentic uh, stand out. And so they brought that design element to the table. We really liked it and just took it a step further this time. Okay. Um, and listeners won't be able to see this, but I, I did bring a couple samples that has shown the, the change or the evolution of the color of the stripes throughout the design process. Um, the, first, the first rounds of sampling, the stripes were much lighter and we consciously wanted to go darker, uh, more tonal, more kind of a metallic silverish and black. Um, and I'm, I'm very happy with the way they turned out. Um, it's, it's probably a detail that you may not um, see from the stands, depending on where your seats are or even on TV. But when you're holding the jersey up in person or looking at a close-up photo, uh, the stripes are very obvious. All right. That's obviously how the sublimated stripes yep. played as well. They're much more for in-person, up-close mm-hmm. yeah. uh, interactions. Uh Let's talk about Audi Field, yeah. uh, the new, especially the new team store yeah. at, at Buzzard Point. I know um, when I've talked to people in the team store who, who worked there in the past, they, every one of them was excited about the more <laughs> square footage and getting yeah. just a blank canvas uh, at the new stadium. So tell us about how the, the planning for that is going and, and what's in store for fans. I couldn't be more excited about the retail footprint at <laughs> Audi Field. Um, so for those that know the the team store at RFK was originally built by the Washington Nationals when they moved down from Montreal. When they left RFK, we changed the paint, uh, changed things around, moved in, um, <laughs> and have been there since. Um, but always knowing that it wasn't designed for us and wanted to design something specifically for our fans and for our sport going into Audi Field. 
Um, and several years ago at All Star, I was around a table with um, counterparts of mine that were all in new soccer-specific stadiums and all already had issues with where their warehouse was, the square footage of their team store, not having a team store, whatever their problem may be. And I, I just stopped the meeting and said, oh, guys, you're all in new soccer-specific stadiums. Some of you for six months, how do you have these issues already? Um, so coming out of that meeting, I knew that I wanted to come up with what is the ideal retail footprint mm-hmm. before we even started the design process of Audi Field. Go into um, it intentionally, not, yes. not just take what is given not, to you. Don't take what's given to you um, or what's left available after food and beverages. Right, and with right. such a small footprint, what was going to be left was probably not going to be very much if, if you hadn't. So I spent some time in D.C. United and MLS committed some resources to traveling and shadowing counterparts both within MLS and other sports and similar size venues of trying to come up with what is the ideal retail footprint, the ideal store size for a stadium of our size for our sport. Um, and we have, as we stand today, what will be the best retail footprint for a soccer-specific stadium. Um, and that'll allow us to service our fans faster. Uh, the lines that you experience or the crowding that you experience <laughs> in a store at RFK, uh, you won't find at Audi Field. Um, so for those that aren't familiar with the plans at Audi Field, the, the primary team store, which is in the northeast corner, is almost three times the size of the store um, at RFK. Uh, that allows you to carry a broader selection of product, um, provide better shopability in terms of just moving around the store. It allows you to segment different products so you can create a designated women's section that is called out and easily shoppable, a dedicated men's section, training gear, sideline gear, and so on. Um, so very excited about that. Very excited about the uh, customization area in the in, within the store at Audi Field. Um, it's something that we make do with at RFK and do the best we can with, but um, we're partnering with a, a company uh, that's handling a lot of MLS teams now where all they do is build and design customization areas. Um, wow. and they do a lot of other sports as well. You see them at Capital One Center. They, they handle the um, Caps jerseys customizations, and uh, they do a lot of Major League Baseball as well. So then beyond the primary store at Audi Field, there's also a secondary store in the southwest corner. Um and the typical portable locations that you'll see around any venue. Um, so the combination of all of them, I think, provides great coverage for the entire stadium where if you're trying to shop for a jersey or t-shirt or what have you at halftime, you don't have to fight your way around the entire concourse to get to the store in the northeast corner because your seats are somewhere else. Uh, there will be an accessible location for you to go to and get back to your seat before the game starts for the second half. Uh, so couldn't be more excited for it. Um, Construction has begun on the retail-specific areas, and it's it's fun to come see them come to life. I was uh, down doing a tour and looking at the retail locations uh, oh, last nice. week. Um, it was exciting to see them come to life. Yeah, I bet. You've been working on it for a long time. so Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> the sigh, I don't know if it came through, the sigh of yeah. emotion that came out of Nathan there was palpable. It's. I've been in the D.C. United front office since 2001, so to see a stadium finally come to life is... Yeah. Um, long overdue, but a dream come true. Yeah, the groundbreaking was an emotional day, for sure. certainly. Uh, I want to go back to the jersey real quick. Yeah. Something that, that I had meant to mention before we moved uh, to the, the stadium and, and forgot was the, the women's replica. In, in the past, there, there's been a, a much deeper v-neck uh, for, for women, and this one is, is not 
doesn't have that at all. It's very shallow. No. Regular, uh, even. This is a, a crew neck women's. Um, several years ago, there was a conversation around the U.S. women's national team and their on-field jerseys versus the ones that were sold at retail uh, that included a sexualized neck or a deep V-neck. Um, that received a lot of negative attention. And there was also a conversation around that MLS uh, jerseys were the same offering for women. Um, so this is as simple as listening to our fans and taking that into the design consideration, working with Adidas to um, come up with a, a different version of a collar that is um, more friendly to a lot of our female fans. Uh, so I guess last question, uh, what, what's in any surprises in store? Or what are you most excited about being in, in store for on the merchandising side in 2018? Um, so you'll see a couple additional pieces that tie back to this jersey. There's always the traditional scarf, headwear, uh, socks, accessories that, that take the jersey design and incorporate it into some different styles. Um, a lot of our products we have um, pushed back a couple months in 2018 towards the, the opening of that store at Audi Field. Um, so without uh, too many home games to play before the opening, there, there wasn't a need to bring them in in advance. Um, so probably in, in May you'll see the full line come out, at least for the first half of the year. Um, most exciting thing for 2018 for me is, is really getting in that store and out of field. And, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's moving into a new home for us, so it's that. Um, and one other thing that I'll mention about um, this new primary jersey design is for the first time in many years, uh, this will be available all the way down to a 12-month-old jersey. Oh, awesome. So in the past, our infant and toddler jerseys were a different design. Yeah. It was kind of the same color. but I, I have two kids. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, the true replica will be available from uh, 12 months at the youngest age all the way up to 3X this year. All right. Great. Nathan, thanks for coming out. Yeah, thanks for absolutely. the samples. Uh, let me it. look at them up close and getting my hands on them as opposed to just looking at the pictures online. Yeah. Thanks for talking jersey design. Yeah, I'm, I'm always happy to. <laughs> uh, do you want to tell people where they can find you online or, or yeah, should we just so, check out? Um, you can find us online at uh, dcuteamstore.com um, or on Twitter at dcuteamstore as well. Um, we didn't mention, but these jerseys will be available beginning February 5th. Um, exclusively online in the beginning on uh, MLSstore.com. All right, Nathan Fry, Director of Merchandising for DC United. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks again to Nathan for sitting down with me and uh, talking about the, the new kit for DC United. Uh, and thank you for listening this week. Uh, find us at blackandredunited.com. If you feel like supporting us financially, we, of course, love that. We're at patreon.com slash filibuster. Find us online uh, on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can subscribe, leave us ratings and reviews, whatever you want, on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on the Internet Archive, where, wherever podcasts are found. Whatever app you use, whatever platform you use, we're probably there. And if we're not, let us know. We will try to fix it. Um, mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. That's the best way to get the word out. And we really appreciate it. All the word of mouth we can get. We will talk to you real soon. Until then, for Ben and Jason, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Save the breakers. Save the breakers.